for taking us to that that feast that put me to sleep in about five minutes. I hit the wall. I was just a pansy. Um, I need to get into training before these things. And it is good to see you all again. This is about the fourth or fifth time I've been with you, so it does feel familiar, and it's good to have my better half with me for the first time, so we're, we're glad to be here. I want to invite you to turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And uh, my purpose in this sermon today is to, I'm seeking to motivate you and instruct you in how God would have you prevail in prayer on behalf of one another. And here's why I feel that's such a crucial aim and purpose. Er- early on, when, when Jesus' church could essentially fill a small room, there was this little band of brothers and sisters in Christ, and they joined together, according to Acts chapter 114, they joined together constantly in prayer. And, and, and why did they do that? Um, it's because Jesus had appeared to them saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's a promise. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Another promise. Witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But why did they need the power? The power of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's because um, as this past year has so clearly reminded us, life is, it's like war. It's like war. The disciples faced religious rigidity of the Jewish leaders, posed all the challenges to their religious authority. The disciples faced a powerful government that opposed religious a religious movement that claimed allegiance to a higher moral authority. They had to wrestle day in and day out with practical outworkings of unity amidst significant uh, ethnic, socioeconomic, religious diversity. They had little to no uh, organizational structure. They had no defined leadership structure at that point. And they were still reeling. From the, with the disequilibrium from the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ Jesus himself. Nobody had ever had to navigate anything like that before. But according to God's word, while they prayed, flaming tongues of fire fell upon them. And as a result, the church overcame every obstacle. Did the challenges disappear and just go away? Not at all. But the obstacles, uh, a hindrance to the mission of making disciples and God's purpose to fill the earth with the display of his glory was not hindered in the least. When God's people prevail in prayer, there is power to fight the fight of faith. Christ is exalted as king. His disciples are filled with joy. And so it's such a crucial habit to cultivate, and I want to encourage you then to to turn to Colossians chapter 1, and I want to invite you to follow along. I'm going to read verses 9 through 12, and I don't know if you guys do this, but at Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls, we 
we make it a, a, our custom to, in honor of God's word, as an expression of our reverence for God's word and our desire to yield to God's word, I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to read these verses out loud here. So the Apostle Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is God's holy and authoritative word. We read it like no other. Let's pray together. Just humbled, Father, as you would communicate yourself to us in this way. And we know that you have given us your word to, to strengthen us in our inner being, to engender faith and make it strong, to bear spiritual fruit in our lives. And ultimately, Lord, you've given us this communication of yourself so that we might know you walk with you, glorify you, that you would be magnified. And so we ask that that would be the end of, of this time that we have together this morning. Be exalted, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I believe the main point of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 is located in the very first sentence where Paul says, and so... From the day we heard, here it is, this is the main point, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased, um, it's a figure of speech. It means that Paul prays a lot. <laughs> it means that he prays regularly. It means that Paul makes Prayer a priority. It means that prayer is of such vital importance, such value, that praying without ceasing needs to be a habit that all of us would cultivate. For prayer is a habit by which we position ourselves in the path of God's power and God's presence, not only for our own well-being, but for the well-being of others. Now, even though there is no explicit command to pray in this text, no apostolic charge that would be binding. There is a grammatical construction in the text here known as the, the inclusive or hortatory we, which in this case means that, well, this is how we would understand what Paul is saying in verse 9. I, and I hope you as well, 
um, as well as all believers together with us, shall not cease to pray. That's how, that, that, I think that's how we capture the sense of such a grammatical structure. And, and we get that, right, intuitively. We, we read that, we just, we just know. That, though it's not in the form of a command, Paul intends it to function as a command. As I am not ceasing to pray for you, I'm continuing to pray for you, therefore you keep on praying without ceasing for one another. As I'm prevailing in prayer for you, you be prevailing in prayer for each other. That's the main point. Keep on praying for one another. Pray and pray and pray for one another without ceasing. Why? For what reason? What is it that, that Paul has, what, what is it that has him so motivated to practice such prevailing, unceasing prayer? And according to verse 9, it is on account of this. And so, from the day we heard, from the day we heard what? <laughs> what did Paul hear that, that fired him up to unceasing prayer for the Colossian Christians? And he tells us what it is, what it was that he heard back in verses 3 and 4, where he writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So there it is. Paul had heard two things that were going on in the church in Colossae. He heard about their faith in Christ Jesus, and he heard about their love for all the saints. That is, he had, he had heard about the Colossians' joy, the confidence that they had in Christ, how they were trusting Jesus, they were living by faith in Jesus, and he had heard that the believers in this particular church loved each other. The word was out. There, there was a buzz about how they loved each other, and apparently they loved each other in such a way that no one was discriminated against, no one was advantaged or disadvantaged. They loved all the saints, all the saints. That's pretty remarkable, right? Um, not just because it's such a rare thing, but it's remarkable because when, at least when I think of faith and love, my impulse is to think of them as affections of the heart. You know, faith is an internal disposition, and love is an internal affection. But faith and love as spiritual affections are not intended to remain private or internal or secret. Faith and love are spiritual affections that they're evidence of the functional centrality of the gospel. That is, when the gospel's working, when the gospel's getting things done in a person's life, it produces something. It produces confidence in Jesus. 
and generous-hearted affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in the church in Colossae, faith and love had gone public. Those people are trusting Jesus. Those people are a loving people. They're a loving church. And this is good. It's a good thing. Faith that does not generate works of love, faith that does not function in any practical, fruit-bearing way, may as well be considered a dead faith. There's no life to it. It's not doing anything. But the Colossians lived by faith out of their experience of soul-satisfying fullness in Jesus. And out of this joy in Christ, out of this peace in Christ, they overflowed with love toward one another. And it was this faith and this love that were they're just so out there on display. And because of that word got out, and they had a reputation. They had a reputation about their faith in Christ and their love for each other. And when that word reached the Apostle Paul, it lit him up to do something. You know, we, it's the hipster thing to say, I guess, in our church. He was lit. <laughs> he was lit to pray. We can think about it like this, I guess. The, the, Coloss- the Christians in Colossae, were, they were profiting from God's word. They were hearing God's word. And, and in hearing God's word, it was producing faith. Not just any old faith, but, but the word of God was producing a, a, a practical reliance on the promises of God and this reliance on God and all of his perfections and the things that he had promised to do and be for them. It was producing joy. It was producing, producing fullness. And out of this joy and this fullness was flowing good works of loving care and even though their lives were full even though they're you know they get to the end of a day tired even though they're they were just flesh and blood people like us they're making these generous hearted sacrifices with their time and even though they they weren't just a little bit stressed out by the cares that weighed on them out of this joy and this fullness these Flesh and blood people were serving one another, bearing one another's burdens. And and the news of this faith, this living, vibrant, overflowing through love activity, gospel activity, it, it captured Paul. It captured him in his spirit and he was moved to pray. And not just to pray in general. God bless them. Thank you, Lord. Not just pray randomly. He was moved to pray for specific things for these specific brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe, friends, that that's really the claim of this text on us. There's a particular claim in this particular text, for us, and here's what it is. God has specific things for which he would have us 
prevail in prayer for specific brothers and sisters in Christ. Say it again. God has specific things for which He would have us prevail in prayer. Keep on praying for each other. Prayer for specific brothers and sisters in Christ. So, you know, should we pray for our family members, dear friends? Of course. Should we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are you know, members of other churches? Of course. Should we pray for Christ followers in other cities uh, or other nations? Absolutely. But friends, listen. There is a particular claim on us in this particular text to prevail in prayer. That is to pray without ceasing for specific things for a specific group of brothers and sisters in Christ. Namely, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are a part of your specific spiritual community. Now, who is that? Who is that for you? Who, who are these specific brothers and sisters in Christ to whom you have made a commitment to be accountable? Who are the particular brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you have made a particular commitment to grow together in your devotion to Christ? Who are the particular brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you have made a particular commitment to love them like family? Who are the particular brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you have made a particular commitment to live like missionaries in this community? Who is that for you? I believe that the claim of Colossians 1, 9 through 12 is that there are specific brothers and sisters in Christ to whom, with whom, we make a specific commitment to live out the fullness of joy and peace that we have in Christ. And to that specific group of brothers and sisters in Christ, we make a, a specific commitment to pray. To pray without ceasing. Again, you know, is it good and right to pray for others? <laughs> Absolutely. Is it good to pray for that friend, that dear friend, or that, that family member? Of course it is. Is it good and right to pray for your neighbor or a colleague? Yes. Is it good and right to pray for them regularly? Of course. But here's this, uh, there's this unvarnished reality. We don't pray all that much for anybody. Prayer, much less prevailing prayer for one another, is not a common habit. It is very rare. And speaking to this fact of prayerlessness, and he does so in the light of the promise of Romans 8.32, J.I. Packer writes, Let's call a spade a spade. The name of the game we are playing is unbelief. And Paul's, he will give us all things, 
stands as an everlasting rebuke. The game we're playing is unbelief. What unbelief? What aren't we believing? Well, according to J.I. Packer, at least we're, it, it could be that we're not believing that he will give us all things, if we ask. Perhaps it's the, a functional unbelief in the promise of Matthew 6.6, 6, which says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Does it surprise you that Jesus aims to motivate us to pray with the promise of reward? What reward? What reward? How about the reward of John 6.35, where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we all have heart hungers, right? We all experience soul thirst. But Jesus, the bread of life who satisfies them all, rewards our prayers, and he rewards our prayers not with what he gives, but with who he is. So do we believe that? You see, prayer makes a profound difference in how much we experience the power and presence of God. Prayer makes a profound difference in how much we experience the power and the presence of the Lord. Do you believe that? Do we trust that promise? Because if we believed it, then what then would our prayers for one another look like? What would it be that we would be praying for one another? And according to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, we would pray without ceasing on a weekly basis, a regular basis, a daily basis, of, that our brothers and sisters in Christ would, first of all, be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Look again at verse 9. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, to be, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, I mean, you know, how, how much knowledge of God's will is that? It, what, that what that means is that, that um, we are captured with this glory of who God is and captured with just the, the reality of His purposes. What does God will to do? And we're captured with that. We are enraptured with God in the, what He purposes to do. And we are captured and enraptured in such a way, to such a degree, that you just want to pour out your life to fulfill that purpose. 
See, by, by nature, we're, we're filled, <laughs> we're engrossed, we're centered, captured, pretty much by our own will. What we purpose to do. What we want to get done. The knowledge of our desires. Now, if, if I had this right, I think if Chris got me accurate info, uh, Providence Community Church has five community groups. These are the structures. This is the structure that you have in place where particular brothers and sisters in Christ make a particular commitment to grow up together in faith and devotion to Jesus. This is, this is the structure where a particular group of brothers and sisters in Christ make a particular commitment to love one another like family. Now, imagine what it would be like if the brothers and sisters in Christ that make up your community group were so filled, so enraptured, so captured by the beauty and the wonder of God's perfections and the glory of His purposes, that, that the desire of each and every person in your group was, it was just to pour out their lives for the fulfillment of God's purposes and to worship the Lord with spiritual wisdom and true understanding. Friends, this is what Paul prayed for without ceasing. That, that God would so capture his brothers and sisters in Christ with the glory of God and God's purposes. Think about this. <laughs> By prevailing in prayer for the brothers and sisters in Christ in your community group, you can make a profound difference in how much they are actually captured with awe and wonder in God and zeal for His purposes. Do you have faith for that? Second, do you have the faith to pray without ceasing that your brothers and sisters in Christ would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Verse 10, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? To, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It, it means to live out our lives in such a way that, that people would look at us and they would say, whoa, they must be trusting an awesome God. They must be trusting and treasuring a God who is worth everything to them. Worth more than anything else to them. He's worth everything to them because He's faithful. He promises to care for their every need. He is a God who loves them completely. A God in whom they can trust in every circumstance. Just look at how much the Lord is worth to them. You see the power in that? I mean, every brother and sister in your community group 
working, playing, recreating, spending their money, eating, stewarding their time, making every decision, living out a lifestyle that shows that no one and no thing is worth more to them than our Father in heaven. Friends, just think of it. (laughs) Here's the crazy part. Your prevailing prayer can actually make a profound difference in how much someone else is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. You believe that? Third, you have the faith to pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ would please God in all respects. Look again at verse 10. We've not ceased to pray, asking that you would be fully pleasing to him. So, Imagine what it would be like to live in such a way that God was constantly pleased with you. Every word that you spoke, every action, every thought, God was, and God wasn't just like, okay, with what we said or what we did or what we thought, but he was deeply pleased with what we said and what we did. And what we thought. Now, I'm I'm mindful of those who live with a deep ache of emptiness because, you know, whether it's in relation to like a parent or or a spouse, somebody important to them, they were just they were just never enough. Always criticized, always reminded of how they fell short. And today they you know they remain insecure and, and desperate for approval. And this fear, this insecurity spills over to their relationship with God. I mean, is God really pleased with me? Does God even like me? Is he ever happy with me? Ever? Could God possibly delight in me? And, and friends, to, to live in the good of this certainty of God's pleasure in us. What a spiritual blessing that is. The ripple effects of this are just powerful. To, to live in the confidence that God is pleased with us. Not, no, not just pleased with us, fully Pleased with us. It changes everything. We're not tiptoeing through life. We're not holding back. We're not fighting off this kind of this low level, you know, this friction that hinders us from ever getting traction in relationships. And, and, and this is the part that's so crazy. Just think of this. Your prayer <laughs> can make a profound difference in how much someone else experiences that sense, this knowledge that they are pleasing to the Lord. Fourth, you have the faith to pray 
that your brothers and sisters in Christ would bear fruit in every good work. Verse 10, yet again. We've not ceased to pray, asking that you are bearing fruit in every good work. Notice how I read that. Paul's focus Paul's focus in that sentence is not on the good work. Paul's focus is on the fruit of the good work. And so what that refers to is fruit born in other people's lives on account of our good work. So what we're asking for, what we're praying for, is that the, the love or the care or the sacrifice or the generosity or the hospitality or the servanthood or the burden bearing. I mean, whatever it is, every good work, every good work, not just some of them, but and once in a while, <laughs> but every good work all the time done by the brothers and sisters in Christ in your community groups would bear spiritual, enduring spiritual fruit in other people's lives. Just imagine that. (laughs) Every good work bearing eternally significant fruit in the lives of others. What an astonishing blessing that would be to the people of your city. To the people of your respective spheres of influence to the people groups, to the language groups, to the nations. That's what Paul's, that's what he prayed for unceasingly, that God would cause his brothers and sisters in Christ to bear fruit in every good work. Friends, brothers and sisters of Providence Community Church, just listen. This is crazy to me. Your prayers can actually make a profound difference in how much someone else is bearing fruit. Fifthly, do you have the faith to pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ would increase in the knowledge of God? Verse 10 says, we've not ceased asking that you would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Could there, could there be anything more important, anything more desirable, anything more enjoyable, anything more soul-satisfying than knowing God more and more? I mean, how much more is there of infinite? More and more. Could could there possibly be anything more transformative than communing with God, gazing at the beauty of the Lord, hearing His wisdom, exploring the depths of who He is? And, And Paul prayed without ceasing that his brothers and sisters would be ever increasing, ever, ever enlarging their capacity for knowledge of the Lord. And we're not just talking about, you know, filling up their heads with content and, you know, being, you know, eggheads, whatever. Um, 
We're talking about knowing God experientially. Finding that all He has revealed himself of Himself in this book is true, is real. He's powerful in my life. He keeps His promises to me. He's been faithful to me. He is active and getting things done in me. Every crisis, every heartache, every victory, every breakthrough, in all of it, I am finding Him to be for me exactly as He has communicated Himself to be. And, and like, here's the crazy part of this. According to Colossians 1.10, your prayer can actually make a profound difference in how much someone else is knowing God. Sixth, do you have the faith to pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ would be strengthened with all power? Look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience. Oh, the endless list of things that drain us. Up at all hours with a fussy baby. Day after day with frustrating jobs. Chronic pain. Fatigue. Unplanned for interruptions. Giving in to temptation. When you cave into willful sin, does that leave you feeling more powerful or empty? Enduring disappointments, grieving lost dreams. I mean, aren't there always situations in which we feel helpless? <laughs> but imagine what it would be like to be constantly strengthened in our faith, strengthened according to God's supernatural power. And not just some power, all power, all God's power. That's how Paul prayed for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, and so too, this, here's the crazy thing, right? Your prayers can actually make a profound difference in how much someone else is experiencing God's power. Seven. Last one. Do you have faith to pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ would be joyously giving thanks to the Father? Verses 11 and 12. We've not ceased to pray that you may be strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father. So just, just picture somebody now in your community group Joyously giving thanks to the Father. Picture them. Picture them. They're not sullen or complaining, but joyously giving thanks to the Father. Friends, this is what Paul prayed for without ceasing. And your unceasing and persevering and prevailing prayer can actually make a profound difference in how much someone else is joyously giving thanks to God. Some of you may be familiar. It's an old 
an old motto phrase from the Civil War era preacher E.M. Bounds. He wrote, no prayer, no power. Some prayer, some power. Much prayer, much power. That's a, it's a poignant little saying, right? It, but, it, but it really sums up the meaning and the significance of Colossians 1, 9-12. No prayer, no power. Some prayer, some power. Much prayer, much power. Your prevailing prayer can make a profound difference. Can make an actual difference in how much someone else is experiencing the presence and the power of God. Would you make prevailing prayer for one another, a habit, a habit whereby you position yourself in the path of God's lavish grace until to the end, to the end, that the faith that your brothers and sisters in Christ experience in Him and the love your brothers and sisters in Christ feel and express toward one another might resound in this city to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Lord, I want to ask you for for these particular, these specific brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that um, you might cause them to be captured. Captured with the knowledge of your will. Not just aware of it or mindful of it, but they would be arrested, filled with this. And it would change them. And I would ask, O Lord, that they might walk and live and move in such a way that it would would reveal, it it would be a display of how much you are worth your value. Pray, God, that they would would live in such a way that they'd be pleasing to you in every way. They would sense your pleasure. Pray that they would bear much fruit and it would be eternal fruit, eternally significant fruit. Pray, God, that they would just be enlarged with their experiential knowledge of you. Pray that they might be empowered today as your spirit comes upon them and fills them. Pray that they might know joy in their hearts and out of their joy in you, they would just be constantly, constantly thankful. Thankful people. All fruits of the the power of your gospel work in their lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.